You're listening to Southern Fried Sports with Travis Ryer on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Southern Fried Sports with Bama Online Senior Analyst Travis Ryer on your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. BamaOnline.com, part of the 247sports.com network with you each and every weekday morning from 11 a.m. until noon. The show is always brought to you by Peter Brook Chocolatier out there at 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hill section of Tuscaloosa. Need to get on by there on this football Thursday. Get your weekend treats, your viewing treats. Maybe you're making that road trip to, say, Columbia, Missouri. Maybe you're making the road trip to Auburn for Auburn and Kentucky on Saturday morning. You can get those traveling treats. I like those, man. I grab one of those uh, plastic bags there at the center console, the the carousel of chocolate, as I like to refer to it, where you've got the loose bin items, and you just go around, man, you just pull those levers. You just yank on those levers until you're good to go, and then you're ready. You're ready for that road trip. Peter Brook Chocolates here. Joined, as always, on the program by executive producer, Mr. Joe Gaither, who together we combine to form the 60-minute moon of Sports Talk Radio. What do you say, Joe Gaither? You ready for a little UAB South Alabama tonight? Or what about our Jags? Not the South Alabama Jags, but our Jacksonville Jaguars hosting the Miami Dolphins down on the first coast tonight. I think I'm going to go with UAB and South Alabama unless my Twitter blows up and says that a certain Tungo Vailoa is entering the game. You know, we had a decision to make based on Tua this week because if Tua, if they had announced that Tua was going to get the first start, I probably would be coming to you right now from the back porch at Pops's. We'd be on location down there. Probably would have had to make it down there. Instead, uh, it will be Fitzmagic, it looks like for at least one more week. And so with that, it became easier easier to make that trip to Columbia, Missouri, which we will do starting this afternoon. You know, we're kind of going to do the Meemaw and Paw Paw trip as we get into our 50s now, or at least I do, the chocolate lady. She's not in her 50s, but it's going to be kind of like your grandparents' trip, Joe Gaither, to Columbia, Missouri. We'll go all of about four hours this afternoon and tonight maybe get up around memphis maybe get some of that interstate barbecue maybe some of that memphis barbecue for dinner tonight and then we'll bunk down there and then tomorrow you know maybe another four and a half five hours to st louis and then uh saturday will arrive in columbia so Kind of your grandparents' version of the trip. What do you think? I think that sounds awesome. Uh, my, the one question that came to mind is, will you have tickets uh, for the game, or will we all just be tailgating outside and kind of enjoying the atmosphere? Uh, we've got tickets. We've got tickets. And speaking of which, we're going to go around the SEC and sort of give you an idea of what the ticket man is doing on the secondary market for tickets for these seven contest in the southeastern conference this weekend we do have tickets i can tell you that so we will be in for row field on saturday night at of course an espn broadcast and that varsity crew that we asked for joe we got it not sure if you saw that kind of figured with that primetime espn slot you were going to get sean mcdonough and todd blackledge well there you go allison williams also working sidelines very good at what she does 
Uh, you got the varsity crew, at least in my opinion, you know. I mean, I know you're going to have Nestler and Guerra down there in uh, Baton Rouge this weekend for LSU Mississippi State. You're going to have, I don't even know, where are, uh, I don't know where Herb Street and Fowler are this week. Are they going to college game day, Miami, Florida State? Yes, I think you're absolutely correct on that. Yeah, that would have been a great spot 25 years ago uh, for that one. But the varsity crew, in my opinion anyway, and it starts with Sean McDonough. I love Blackledge too, don't get me wrong. I think he's great at what he does. But there is not a better person on earth calling football play-by-play today than Sean McDonough. There just isn't. 205-342-9904 is the Peterbrook Chocolatier Studio Line. If you'd like to jump on board with us, you are more than welcome to do so. We're also going to check in with Chris Hummer coming up in about 15 minutes. If you haven't already, check out the long-form story that Chris Hummer, the professorial one, uh, the national college football writer for 247sports.com, put together on Florida quarterback Kyle Trask. It's really something. We've talked with Chris about it in the past. The fact that Kyle Trask in high school was the backup pretty much the entirety of his high school career. And the reason for that is because the aforementioned Miami Hurricanes are now home to the starting quarterback at Manville High School out in Texas while Kyle Trask was on the prep level, that being De'Ara King. So imagine being Kyle Trask. And Kyle Trask uh, waited it out. Uh, it went through the entire process. Uh, ended up falling sort of into the lap of the Florida Gators as a second quarterback uh, in his class. So all's well that ends well for Kyle Trask. But we'll talk about that journey for the Florida starting quarterback. Now getting a little bit of even Heisman Trophy love. Uh, I'm not ready to go there with Kyle Trask. But uh, it's still a hell of a story. And we'll talk with Chris about that. And a whole lot more coming up in about 10 or 12 minutes. Um, again, you've got football tonight. You've got UAB, a six-and-a-half-point road favorite. you got a road dog. we got a rusty alert in that one tonight down in Mobile. Yes, Rusty, you got a home dog in the Jaguars of South Alabama. That's a 6.30 kickoff on the cable. Uh, Dolphins and Jags on the NFL Network. That's 7.20 they'll go. Gardner Minshew looking to get our Jags to 2-1 and one on the season. Again, no Tua Tonga-Vailoa tonight. At least that's the expectation. We'll see. Uh, that Dolphins defense, not very good. You know, Jags aren't great on the defensive side of the ball. But uh, should be an opportunity for our Jags to right the ship after that tough loss on the road in Nashville last Sunday. So you got a couple of football games for you tonight. Now, I learned this. Again, I've told you many times before, you need to follow at Tide109 on the Twitter because you're going to get updates, especially on the local front. And I learned via that Twitter account yesterday that that anticipated Gordo-Northridge high school game that was set for tonight, Joe Gaither, now moved to Friday because of what we're seeing outside. Some inclement weather, I guess. So yeah, there you go. Going to Friday, going to Friday night to hopefully try to get it in. We're really excited about it. Uh, still staying on. <laughs> My reporter that I sent out was like, "Oh, I was looking forward to being off on Friday." Sorry, buddy. <laughs> well, you can make it up on Thursday nights in a college town. You know, Thursday night is Friday night, right? In Tuscaloosa, for the most part. If you're looking to get out, maybe shake your tail feathers a little bit. So you've got a full weekend. You got a full Friday night now of high school football in the area. As well, yet Nick Saban's final press conference of the week after yesterday's practice over off Bryant Drive. Nothing earth shattering on that front. You heard from Nick Saban in the SEC coaches teleconference yesterday. Um, you know, continue talk about the COVID nineteen situation, how Alabama's dealing with it with everyday testing now. Uh, Nick will have his radio show. We'll have that tonight, won't we? Nick's radio show tonight. Yes, sir. Uh, starts at six thirty. I think Nick's portion uh, starts at seven. There you go. And so once you get through that radio show tonight with Nick Saban, if you're an Alabama fan, you want radio silence until 630 Saturday night. You don't want any talk. You don't want any news, really, I guess is what I'm saying. You can talk about it. Yeah, you want to anticipate the game. You want to talk about the game. But you don't want any news 
starting with tonight's Nick Saban show right here on Tide 100.9 FM and until you get to kickoff. You just want football from here on out. You don't want anything else, and you don't want it from the Missouri side either. That's probably the more tenuous by far of the situations with this matchup is how Missouri's going to get there on Saturday night. Major League Baseball, the Braves keep rolling, beat the Marlins again for a third straight night in Atlanta. Max Fried, though, tweaked that left ankle, it looked like, a little bit there in the first inning. little slow roller back to him. He makes a nice play, but uh, tweaked that ankle and then proceeded to give up back-to-back home runs. And so with those home runs, the first two that he has given up this season for Max Fried, his ERA finally got into the twos for the first time this season. But you had seven of the Braves' nine runs last night coming off two-out RBI. Good time of the year for that to get going, isn't it? Dansby Swanson, ninth home run of the season. What about this lineup? Now that you've got Acuna and you've got Albies in there at the top, you can move Dansby Swanson back to that seven-hole down into the bottom third of that lineup. Top to bottom. That's a club that can rake now. You go for the sweep tonight, the Braves do. Got Ian Anderson getting the pill for the Braves. Red Sox in this weekend for three. And then it's time for postseason baseball, man. You got the wild card series cranking up. Best of three next Wednesday. Looks like the Cubs or the Braves is a two seed behind the Dodgers, and then we'll kind of figure it out from there. But the interesting thing about the wild card series with the best of three is the higher seed host all three games. It's not two games at the higher seed and one game at the the lower seed. It all takes place at the higher seeds ballpark. Something else we want to get into today with you, and we talked about this at the outset of the program, kind of what the ticket man has in store for the upcoming weekend. When you look at these matchups around the league, and look, if you're an Alabama fan, you're probably not going to like this right off the bat, but I'm going to give Alan Green, the Auburn athletic director, a lot of credit for Auburn's approach to this season opener in comparison to really the rest of the league. You know, in doing some research this morning, going through these various games, essentially on StubHub, looking at ticket prices around the league, I found them for Mississippi State at LSU, Georgia at Arkansas, Alabama at Missouri, Tennessee at South Carolina, Vandy at Texas A&M. I got to Kentucky and Auburn, and there was nothing Nothing. I couldn't find anything on the secondary market for Kentucky at Auburn. And then it occurred to me that Auburn had announced, it's been a little while now, but Auburn had announced about a month and a half ago that the season opener Saturday against Kentucky, it would start with, in terms of ticketing, uh, player guests and staff and Look, the boxes are still going to have the whales in them, all right, at Jordan-Hare Stadium Saturday. You you anticipate that. But as far as all other general seating, it's going to students at Auburn on Saturday. I like that. I like that a lot. And it makes sense because you've got five home games. So even if you want to do the packaging like we're seeing Alabama do, you don't have to do a three and a two. If you were Alabama, you could have done students' priority. Even if you didn't want to do it for Texas A&M, you could have done it for Kentucky, let's say, and you still would have had your packages for Texas A&M, Mississippi State, Georgia, and Auburn. You know, you could have made Georgia, I mean, excuse me, Mississippi State, the student game. You weren't going to make one of your premium games the student uh, ticket game, but I like this by Auburn. I like it a lot. And so uh, that'll be the case at Auburn. That's why I couldn't find any really secondary market tickets is because that's essentially a student game on Saturday on the Plains. Good for Auburn. It's a good call there. Uh, and I understand the economics. I get it. Look, you're trying to salvage as much as you can in, term of tic- in terms of you know ticket sales and those things. But I, I like it. I like what Auburn's doing on Saturday with the students in Kentucky. Uh, Florida at Ole Miss. Okay, I'm going to include fees on these because you know that secondary market fee, that StubHub man, he throws those fees on top of that list price. So you got Florida at Ole Miss Saturday morning, 11 a.m. kickoff on ESPN. Right now, and I'm doing these in pairs, okay, because I'm going to assume you got enough gas 
to take a date to the football game. I mean, if I've got a date for Alabama, Missouri, you should darn well have a date for one of these games. But Florida at Ole Miss, that one including fees at last check this morning, your cheapest get in for a pair was one twenty per ticket. This one surprised me a little bit. This next one we're going to talk about, but then I thought about you've got to consider Hurricane Sally and the impact it's had down there in that area of our country. Mississippi State at LSU on Saturday afternoon, right? Kind of went into that one thinking it would be well in excess of $100 per ticket, but just $77. $77 per ticket. That includes fees, uh, and we're talking about a pair there. Uh, for Mississippi State at LSU. Here's one that might surprise you. This one challenges Alabama and Missouri for the highest ticket price on the secondary market. Excuse me, Alabama, Missouri. I did say that, I guess. Georgia at Arkansas. Cheapest get-in for a pair is 200 per ticket right now out in Fayetteville. Must be a lot of dog people. A lot of dogs going out to... Uh, um, Reynolds Razorback Stadium on Saturday afternoon. Alabama at Missouri, if you're wondering. Uh, cheapest get-in this morning for a pair was 205 each. That included fees. Tennessee at South Carolina on Saturday night. Cheapest ticket for a pair, 110 each. Vandy at Texas A&M. Not exactly the marquee matchup in the Southeastern Conference this weekend, but still fetching 110 per ticket at last check. So there you go. There's your ticket man tour of the SEC. We're going to step aside for a break when we come back. As promised, Chris Hummer, National College Football Writer for 247sports.com, the professorial one, Chris Hummer. He'll join us here on Southern Fried Sports, presented by Peterbrook Chocolatier on Tide 100.9 FM right after this. From the University of Alabama, this is Crimson Tide Today. It's a daily update on Bama sports, and it's brought to you by SunSouth John Deere, the preferred tractor equipment for Alabama athletics. Visit sunsouth.com or any of their 21 locations across the southeast. Hello, everybody. I'm Chris Stewart filling in for Roger Hoover this week. The Alabama football team was selected as the favorite to win the SEC Western Division and 2020 SEC Championship. The Tide also landed a league-leading 13 players on all-conference teams, with both the predicted finish and all-league nominees being selected by media members covering the Southeastern Conference. Bama's eight first-team selections involves a five-man offensive group that's made up of seniors Landon Dickerson, Najee Harris, Alex Leatherwood, and Devontae Smith, along with junior Jalen Waddell. The defensive trio features juniors LeBrian Ray and Patrick Sertan, along with senior Dylan Moses Waddle, also occupies two slots in the specialist group. I'll have more in a moment. Have you priced a new John Deere tractor lately? SunSouth John Deere has a full line of affordable lawn and tractor equipment this season. SunSouth John Deere has an affordable roster for everyone, from riding mowers to utility vehicles and lots of tractors. Stop by any of the 21 locations across Alabama, Mississippi, and Georgia, or visit sunsouth.com to find out what is right for you. Any budget, any project, SunSouth has you covered. Proud to be the preferred tractor equipment dealer of the Alabama Crimson Tide. Alabama enters the season having won a league-leading 27 SEC titles, including four of the last six. The Tide scheduled to open the season on Saturday at 6 in Columbia, Missouri, Alabama squaring off with the Mizzou Tigers. CTSN radio coverage begins at 3 with television on ESPN. That's your Bama Update, Crimson Tide Today, brought to you by SunSouth John Deere, is a production of the Crimson Tide Sports. Cloudy with occasional rain this afternoon. There could be a few strong thunderstorms as well, the high 76. For tonight, rain ending the low 65. Tomorrow and Saturday, partially sunny, a slight chance of a shower both days. The high tomorrow, 80. Saturday's high, 85. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. Tide 100.9. For more coverage of Alabama football, visit us at Tide100.9.com or download the free Tide 100.9 app. The Crimson Tide will not be denied.
Southern Fried Sports right here on Tide 100.9 FM. Travis Ryder, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com with you each and every weekday morning from 11 a.m. until noon. The show, as always, is brought to you in part by Houston Hydrosteam, carpet, rugs, upholstery, your tile, your grout cleaning, all that and a whole lot more. Houston Hydrosteam can take care of right now at 205-553-9460. Locally owned, locally operated home. To that Houston rug revival. I can tell you, it's the real deal. Absolutely. 205-553-9460. Jackie and his staff, get with them right now. That's Houston Hydrasteen. Let's go to the Peterbrook Chocolatier studio line right now. Check in with a pal of the program, Chris Hummer, National College Football Writer for 247sports.com. Chris, it feels like we've been sort of traversing this minefield trying to get to this weekend but is it safe to say we're here or are you gonna have to still kind of maybe see it to believe it on saturday where the sec is concerned no i mean like unlike unlike texas unlike miami uh sec football is back there's no question about it um i mean there might be some hiccups along the way and i'm sure we're gonna see some players sitting out due to COVID-19 concerns, but um, we're going to have SEC football this weekend. I have no doubt in my mind on that one. What is your plan for the weekend? What will be your sort of position? How will you take all of this in with the SEC coming back on board? I'll probably just watch a lot of Big 12 football, you know, the, the good <laughs> stuff. I'm just, I'm kidding. Um, Texas, I'll, have, I'll have multiple TVs rocking. Yeah, it'll be good. It'll be a good setup. I've got, Usually a laptop and a TV and then a second TV so I can have three games at once. Got to make sure to have West Virginia, Oklahoma State on somewhere, though. Absolutely. I guess one of the interesting aspects of all this with the SEC is it's not going to be maximum capacity in terms of fans at games on Saturday, but every game is going to have fans. You know, you can't say that about, I guess, everywhere out there in college football right now. Yeah, that's for sure. And honestly, like, I don't, I don't know what it's like in game. I'll probably be at Texas, Oklahoma in a couple of weeks. I think that'll be the first game I'll get to go to this season. But, um, I, I don't really notice the difference on TV. Like, talking to some coworkers and some other people who cover college football and, and some fans who have been at games, they say it's a little quieter. But I think whoever works the stadium sound mixing has done a really nice job kind of blending the in stadium sound with, uh, the sound on the loudspeakers. It is quite different at the stadiums that aren't allowed to have any fans. But um, I was talking to somebody who covers Miami yesterday, and they had like maybe fifteen to 16,000 fans in there for Louisville, or Louisville did. And they said it sounded pretty normal in the stadium because they just mixed the sound in to the point where um, it got loud on third down uh, defensively and all that. So um, it's not going to be quite as it's not going to be quite as authentic and it's certainly not going to feel as much like college football, like that natural sound you get at tiger stadium when LSU is playing on a Saturday night. I don't think you can replicate that, but it'll still be pretty loud. in Most of these places, I think. Let's ask you about this, Chris, the, the quarterback situation in the Southeastern conference. Um, I think there were some areas of the league where when you talk about grad transfers, once again, not a huge surprise that we're seeing that at Arkansas, that we're seeing that at Mississippi State. Um, but maybe when you consider the situation at Georgia, not just with Jamie Newman coming in there from Wake Forest, but certainly the news with JT Daniels, uh, we figured, right, it was sure to be a graduate transfer at that position. And it turns out that's the one place it's not going to be the case. If you had told me, that South Carolina was going to have a graduate transfer starter, but Georgia was not even a month ago. I wouldn't have believed you. Yeah, it's, the South Carolina situation is interesting um, in general. Like the guy, I think is probably the most talented quarterback in the roster long term. than Cody is playing receiver, so that that kind of just tells you a little bit about um, how South Carolina's QB situation is working. But anytime. Mike Bobo and his starting quarterback in Colorado State um, off the move over to South Carolina, and the quarterback falls with them. It's a pretty good bet that quarterback's going to play some. And Ryan Helensky struggled at times last season, so that's that's weird. But I agree on the Georgia situation. Having DeWan Mathis start is pretty shocking, but it's a combination of JT Daniels not being fully cleared, and like from what I understand, he just has not looked like JT Daniels the last um, 
couple of months. He's just like as a step slow. Like I don't think he's fully recovered from the injury. I don't think he's all the way back yet. Even if his like body is naturally like close to the point of being cleared, I just don't think his um, like physical fitness is caught up with his mind in that way at this point. And the Jamie Newman one was just really weird in general. Um, I still haven't really gotten a straight answer about that. Talking to people around that program and also people who know Jamie, like I, he certainly had COVID concerns, but the timing was just very odd for him. And as I understand it, Dewan was pushing those other two quarterbacks at times. So at the end of the day, George is going to start a dynamic dual threat quarterback, potentially. I just wonder um, how aggressive they're going to be, especially early in the season as they kind of ease Dewan into things. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch that play out for sure. Uh, the quarterback situation in Fayetteville in general is, is going to be at least a reason to watch that Georgia-Arkansas game with Felipe Franks making the move from Florida to, to Arkansas and, and what exactly does Mathis bring to the table for the Georgia Bulldogs. Um, you know, we've talked so much about opt-outs and sort of the lead-up to the season we've had to this point, certainly into the lead-up to the South. Eastern Conference season, we've seen teams Im- impacted in the league. Certainly LSU has been impacted. I think Texas A&M, maybe more so under the radar, hasn't had enough attention given to it, the losses it's taken uh, on both sides of the ball here in the last few weeks. But, you know, we're also seeing, I guess, based more on the about face of the uh, of the, the Big Ten, some, some opt-back-ins. Um, is that something that you anticipate seeing more of, or are we just kind of at a point where teams, regardless of conference, SEC, Big Ten, you name it, they they got what they got personnel-wise? I think I I would be surprised if you saw any more high-profile opt-ins. I know like a guy like Rondell Moore, there are rumors about him wanting to kind of get a waiver to kind of get back on the field in the same way Wyatt Davis trying to at Ohio State, but I wouldn't expect a Micah Parsons to come back for Penn State even though I know he's done some social media kind of um, I, w- I wouldn't say trolling, but he's trying to kind of get some people riled up there. Like I would be surprised if a guy like Penny Sewell returns to the field. Um, all of these guys have hired agents. All of these guys have been at training facilities already. And I think when you, when you make the decision to sit out this season your mindset sort of shifts and I'm sure a lot of these guys pretty badly want to play, but if you already made the decision to do what's best for you in the long term, I don't know why you pivot on that. I think it's I think it's different if you're a guy like a Sean Wade, who I really do think had more to prove this year at Ohio State mm-hmm. um, to be a first round pick. Like he has something there um, tangible to kind of work on, and also he's playing on a team that has a chance to win a national championship. But like if you're Jamar Chase, and I'm not. If you're Jamar Chase and LSU's probably going to go six and four, seven and three this season, like I, that roster's talented, but I just, I don't see it. Um, is it really worth it to opt back in and risk your injury for the year just to kind of play? I, I don't think so, but it's I, I'm rambling a little bit. It's an individual choice, and there's lots of kind of factors that roll into it. But at the at this point, I wouldn't expect to see a ton more opt outs, and I certainly wouldn't expect to see more opt ins. Alabama, we learned last week, has gone to daily testing with the COVID-19 situation. Um, Is that a trend that you can see catching on elsewhere around the league? Certainly when you talk about the haves and the financial impact of doing that, uh, it's very real. And then, of course, knowing what the Big Ten has in store for its restart from that perspective. I would hope so, especially as some of these point-of-care saliva-based tests are more readily available. Um, it certainly makes contact tracing much easier, and I think it would save college teams a lot of headaches ahead of game day if they had uh, constant surveillance testing. But as you said, it is very expensive. And right now, like PCR testing, um, kind of the long nasal swabs, are still the gold standard in terms of testing. Like these saliva tests are getting pushed through the pipeline and they're considered to be close to as accurate, but nothing in terms of catching antigen at an early point is as effective as those PCR tests. So that's why I think you see the SEC sticking with the three-day-a-week PCR testing model instead of pivoting to daily testing like the Pac-12 and the Big Ten are trying to do. Maybe mid-season if we see a string of cancelizations or we see a lot of teams really suffering with contact tracing kind of opt-outs or sit-outs for the week, 
you might see the conference shift. Obviously, medical kind of development and technology is changing every day, and we're getting a better grasp on testing for this virus every day. You might see a shift on the line, but for now, I think we're going to enter the season where we are with PCR kind of being uh, the testing model, and maybe in October or November, if testing is readily available and cheap, they might pivot. But a lot of these schools already have deals and uh, locks and contracts with testing labs to do this. They've already made the investment in the infrastructure. So unless you're supplementing that testing with other tests, I have a hard time seeing everybody pivoting to a completely new model kind of mid-season. You know, Chris, we had a little bit of a stretch there where it was all about the true freshman quarterback in college football, wasn't it? And you had just in the 2018 college football playoff national championship game in Atlanta, you had essentially what boiled down to a duel between Jake Fromm and another true freshman in Tua Tagovailoa in the second half and overtime of that one. But it looks like at least maybe we're trending more towards the veteran quarterback being the guy at the position. Now, when I say that, we have to qualify a veteran these days as a true junior, like a Justin Fields, like a Trevor Lawrence. But last year, it was a fifth-year senior uh, in Joe Burrow that was that guy. I mean, we've we've seen, uh, you know, Kyler Murray wasn't exactly a, a, a true freshman when he finally made his big impact there at Oklahoma. Uh, Baker Mayfield, I guess. Um, is there going to be more of that this year? You know, Bryce Young right here at Alabama, at least for the time being, he's the number two behind Mac Jones. you got a situation at Clemson where, you know, your starter is not going to just step away as a Heisman Trophy favorite uh, for a very talented true freshman there. Is it is it uh, the teams with the, the veteran sort of presence at, at quarterback that we're looking at early on having maybe the biggest advantage in, in that area? Yeah, I mean, I certainly think any team with a veteran quarterback, especially a really talented one, is always going to be greatly advantaged because no matter how talented you are as a true freshman, and a guy like Bryce Young is extremely talented, extremely ready to play, like he is still going to be at a disadvantage from an experience and just game rep standpoint, kind of dissecting coverages, seeing coverages, knowing how to kind of spin out and counter coverages. Then a fourth-year junior will be. It's just like the truth of the matter. Like talent can kind of overcome that at some point like we saw that in 2018 when trevor lawrence took over for kelly bryant and trevor was so talented that he raised clemson ceiling to the point they won a national title but if you have a reliable veteran and if you have a superstar veteran like a trevor lawrence or justin fields you're in great shape like these schools want to start these older quarterbacks if possible like they would prefer to start a third year junior or a fourth year junior if they can so, yeah, I, I certainly think they're greatly advantaged. But in terms of the true freshmen overall, like, they've just been kind of put in a tough spot this year in general. Like, without spring football and without a really kind of consistent off-season workout schedule like we would normally have, like, true freshmen quarterbacks are just behind. Like, if anything, a guy like Jeff Sims at Georgia, Georgia Tech starting speaks more to Georgia Tech's lack of depth at quarterback and their kind of need for that type of talent to raise their ceiling than it does to anything else. Like he's just that much better than everybody on the roster. And those are the type of true freshmen I expect to be playing this year. Not necessarily the most talented players in the class, most of whom kind of ended up at top 10, top 15 teams with kind of an established starter or at least a backup already on the roster. Yeah. When you, when you have that equation that you just talked about with an established sort of blue blood and you're able to insert a really good true freshman in there, that's when you start talking about multi-year runs, right? Like Clemson, uh, like we saw with Alabama and Tua. Uh, and conversely, it's the difference maybe in terms of how we perceive LSU because it was a fifth-year senior. As talented as the rest of that roster was, Joe Burrow was not a one-and-done. He was a two-and-done, but he had the big year in his last year. So now there's more questions about LSU because we just don't know as much about Miles Brennan. You know, if Miles Brennan had had the four starts that Mac Jones had a year ago and played at that sort of level, I'm guessing our thoughts on LSU might be a, a pretty good bit different. Not that they're not a top six or seven team in the preseason polls uh, as it stands. Hey, it's never too early to talk about head coaching hot seats in the Southeastern Conference. I see where Vegas has odds. Chris on the first SEC head coach to be fired. You got Will Muschamp and Derek Mason of Vanderbilt up there at two to one each. I thought Jeremy Pruitt at three to one was pretty high. Um, 
You go all the way to Nick Saban at 100 to 1, Gus Malzahn at 5 to 1. I don't see Sam Pittman getting fired if Arkansas goes 0 and 10, which I can envision. He's 8 to 1, Lane Kiffin, Mike Leach at 10 to 1. What do you think of these uh, numbers for these coaches in that sort of scenario? Uh, I mean, I don't think I'd be putting this is a year if you're looking for a lot of coaches to get fired, you're going to be really disappointed. Like colleges do not have these athletic departments just do not have the money to pay $10 million buyouts. So unless South Carolina goes 0 and 10 or 1 and 9 and looks abysmal, I would be like very, I would just in general be very surprised to see somebody like Will Muschamp fired. And obviously, like when boosters get involved, anything can happen in the SEC. We saw that a couple of years ago when. After giving Gus Malzahn a record-breaking contract, Auburn tried to fire him following the 2018 season. Like, you never know what's going to happen. But like, I I would be I would be really surprised if any of the guys on this list lost a job, or maybe maybe just one, maybe Derek Mason after an 0 and 10 season has shown the door politely. But like anybody with an, an even semi-significant buyout is not losing their job this year. It's just it's not financially feasible. And uh, I mean, these odds are interesting in general because you've got Nick Saban listed and I think I don't even I can't even think of a scenario in which Nick Saban would lose his job like I don't I don't know what would have to happen like maybe I, I just have no idea so it's it's an interesting list in general yeah it's it's fired that's the bet you know it's not retirement or you know something like that it's straight up dismissed and I'm with you I think these numbers would make a lot of sense a year ago or maybe down the line when we get back to some semblance of normalcy. I would argue that maybe you should have a list of SEC athletic directors more likely to be fired based on <laughs> based on some of the extensions and buyouts like Will Muschamp has there at uh, there at South Carolina. Hey, Chris, before we let you go here, talked about it earlier in the program. Great, great long form piece on Florida quarterback Kyle Trask. And, uh, you know, I think we touched on it in the past, sort of the path he took as a high school backup to a pretty good quarterback uh, at Manville High School out in Texas. Um, you know, I, I, I came away thinking, you know, Florida fans don't have a lot of appreciation for Jim McElwain these days, even though the guy did win two SEC Eastern Division crowns. But he did leave a nice parting gift in that two quarterback class that he landed that included Kyle Trask, because I remember at the time people saying, what exactly is Florida doing here taking a backup quarterback, even from, uh, you know, football crazy uh, Texas and, uh, and and putting him in the class? But uh, Jim McElwain with the, the gift that keeps on giving, I guess. Yeah. And like, I, I mean, I get it. Florida went, what, four and eight in Jim McElwain's final season. They were getting blown out to Alabama in the SEC title game. But like he was he was pretty successful at Florida overall and anytime you land one sec starter one quality sec starting quarterback in a class like you're doing something right those are tough evaluations to hit and to find the guy is very difficult uh no matter what people say about quarterbacks evaluation it is extremely difficult to kind of find the right guy find the right system and to find a guy who can start at a high level in the sec is difficult he found that in Felipe franks no matter what you want to say about Felipe franks and then to also land Kyle Trask, another high-level SEC starter, uh, a guy that almost nobody was looking at in the college ranks uh, from an offer standpoint. Like Florida was his first and only SBS offer at the end of the day. Like I think that's a testament to Jim McElwain and that entire staff, that included Dub Newsmeyer, who is now the QB coach for the Dallas Cowboys. Like they did an excellent job evaluating, and Jim McElwain like left a heck of a present. You could pretty strongly argue that uh, Kyle Trask is Florida's best quarterback since Tim Tebow, maybe with the exception of Will Greer for the uh, six or so games he got to start there uh, before he left for West Virginia after his um, PED suspension. But, yeah, Kyle Trask has turned into a heck of a story, and if Florida makes the playoff this year, I think it's largely going to be because of Kyle Trask. There you go. Great stuff, as always, from Chris Hummer. If you haven't already, give Chris a follow on Twitter, at Chris underscore Hummer, H-U-M-M-E-R. Enjoy all the games this weekend. SEC football joining the mix. It should be a good one. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, thanks so much. Have a good one. There he goes, Chris Hummer, National College Football Writer for 247sports.com. Yeah, you know, the Gator fans, not a lot of love for old Jimmy Mack. But you know what? 
you know what they haven't done in Gainesville? They haven't taken down those SEC Eastern Division flags, championship flags, at last check. They hold on to those pretty good. You know, everything else about Jim McElwain, uh, and look, I understand it ended badly. But uh, we're still waiting on Dan Mullen to put one up there. We're going to head to a break. We come back. More of Southern Fried Sports on a Thursday, presented by Peterbrook Chocolatier right after this. Bye. You're listening to Southern Fried Sports with BamaOnline.com senior analyst Travis Ryer on your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Long distance information. Give me Memphis, Tennessee. Help me find the party. Try to get in touch with me. She could not leave. today we're going to give you a little uh, taste of Missouri music had to give you some Chuck Berry I mean if we're going to do uh, a Missouri themed playlist gotta have the great Chuck Berry on there and there you go Memphis Tennessee yeah plan on seeing that place maybe a little bit later today and so that's your playlist today got a little Nelly you know had to go straight St. Louis to close it out coming up here. So we'll have a little Nelly for you to close it out on the program today. 205-342-9904. That is the Peterbrook Chocolatier Studio Line. Today's show brought to you in part by Chase's Residential and Commercial Cleaning. 20 years of quality cleaning experience. That's all you need to really know about Chase's Residential and Commercial Cleaning. But there's so much more. Because Yashika Barnes, the CEO and driving force of Chase's Residential and Commercial Cleaning, just a joy to work with, man. Just an outstanding person. Uh, You're going to be able to depend on Chase's, do in large part because of Yashika. And you should give them a call right now at 205-886-3616. That's Chase's Residential and Commercial Cleaning. Always a lot of fun catching up with... uh, Chris Hummer on the program, went through a lot of different things uh, with Chris. I know he's looking forward to the upcoming college football weekend. He's going to be at ground control. Chris is situated out there in Austin, Texas, is where Chris calls on. He's very central there in Austin, booming Austin, Texas. I mean, when you talk about cities that are just uh, exploding, I guess you could say, Austin, certainly on that list. Uh, Nashville would certainly be on that list. And I would say Portland, Oregon before uh, some of the recent events. But even with that, Portland, a very popular locale, destination amongst the young people, it seems like, uh, more so these days. You know, it'll be interesting, too. I I should ask Chris about this because if Missouri does go with Sean Robinson at quarterback, as the successor to the uh, one-year bridge that was Kelly Bryant from Drew Locke to this next starting quarterback would have be interesting to see how Sean Robinson holds up in the Southeastern Conference because it was sort of a tumultuous stint there, albeit a brief stint or at least a small sample size working under Gary Patterson there at TCU before moving on to Missouri. Uh, He's obviously – one of the big storylines for Saturday night from the Missouri perspective, because as we've talked about this week, as much as you like Larry Roundtree, the third, as much as you like Tyler Beatty at the running back position, going to have to get something out of that passing game. Got a grad transfer in there and Damon Hazelton coming in from Virginia tech. That should help. You know, Missouri's like so many of these teams now, so many of these offenses. I mean, you go down depth charts now and you see six, three wide receivers. You don't even bat an eye anymore, you know, and that's Hazleton. He's six, three. Um, and you got a couple of those Missouri wide receivers that are going to go six, three, six, four on Saturday night. Uh, and then you're going to have a matchup in the slot that I think you're going to want to watch Jalen Knox working inside from Missouri. We talked about him earlier in the week. Had a pretty good game here in 2018 against Alabama. Averaged a little more than 20 yards per catch on three grabs. Got into the end zone once. 
well, the only time Missouri scored. That was a hell of a throw, as I recall, by Drew Locke. That was one of those plays in that homecoming game two years ago where Drew Locke was sort of, as I recall, off-platform, as they say, and just almost like a flick of the wrist across his body, uh, a dart to Jalen Knox for six. And so you'll have that matchup on Saturday night that we're assuming will involve Malachi Moore, true freshman, at the star position, working inside against Jalen Knox. So that's one you'll want to keep an eye on. But again, quarterback play for Missouri, a big question mark going into Saturday night. Going to step aside for a final break when we come back. We'll put a wrap on a Thursday edition of Southern Fried Sports right here on Tide 100.9 FM right after this. Cloudy with occasional rain this afternoon. There could be a few strong thunderstorms as well, the high 76. For tonight, rain ending below 65. Tomorrow and Saturday, partially sunny, a slight chance of a shower both days. The high tomorrow, 80. Saturday's high, 85. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. The flagship station for Alabama Crimson Tide football. Alabama touchdown. Only on Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. I can just see Joe Gaither bobbing. He's got the white guy overbite going on that bottom lip. You know, cabbage patching a little bit there in the production booth at Tide 100.9 FM. Am I right on that? Do you have a secret camera in here? (laughs) Oh, you love it. You'll love it. It's a getaway day for yours truly. So uh, as we start to make that trip, the Meemaw and Papaw version of that trip these days with the chocolate lady and myself. You know, maybe we'll find some a little tour stop on the way that has some saltwater taffy. You know, I'm going to make sure I have my calf high socks pulled up. Bermuda shorts, right? <laughs> My white New Balances, those solid white New Balances that you got to have. When you turn 50, you get a free pair of those, I think, you know. Those mall walkers, yeah, that'll be us this weekend as we start that that quest, that quest for Columbia, Missouri. Um, again, appreciate Chris Hummer joining us earlier in the program. Pretty good troll post on Twitter right now. I just retweeted if you haven't seen it. Kyle Umlang, I guess I'm saying that right. Kyle uh, likes to come with some fun facts on Twitter. At Kyle Umlang, U-M-L-A-N-G. Has a little Arkansas-Georgia breakdown for you from the last 60 years of college football. Uh, National championships, Arkansas won, Georgia won. Conference championships, Arkansas 9, Georgia 9. Wins against Alabama. Arkansas 8, Georgia 7. How about that? Yeah, that's getting some love on the old social media right now, as you might expect. As is usually the case, context is sort of important in a a post like that. Of course, we know Arkansas pretty much uh, the, well, the national championship in 69 is a member of the Southwest Conference. Conference championships, there haven't been any of those for Arkansas in the Southeastern Conference. Uh, wins against Alabama, I got to think pretty much almost all of those came under Houston Nutt, didn't they? Or at least most of them. Yeah, Houston Nutt was to Arkansas people what Tommy Tuberville was to Auburn people. For the most part, just really caught Alabama at the right time when he was at Arkansas. And so that worked out quite nicely. Similar, obviously, to Tommy Tuberville at Auburn. But, uh, yeah, you talk about politics and football, right? We hear so much about keep politics out of football, keep football out of politics. I mean, when you look at Arkansas's one national championship, it was pretty much determined by the president of the United States at the time. In 1969, you had that Texas-Arkansas game there in Fayetteville. Kind of looking at that right now, interesting that a game of the century, as it was called in 1969, your attendance that day, tell you how far stadium sizes and capacities have come. Your attendance at Reynolds Razorback Stadium 
I think it was just Razorback Stadium in 69. 47,500 for a game of the century. Yeah. You don't see that anymore. Well, you might see it this year. You might see less than that this year for some games of the century. But December the 6th, 1969, then president, sitting president, Richard Nixon made his way down there. And there's, uh, I think there's one of the 30 for 30s or, you know, uh, SEC Rewind, something like that. I don't know. You can find it on demand. But uh, Arkansas... Uh, actually, it was Texas that won the game. But Arkansas uh, loses to Texas, and uh, and uh, Richard Nixon, I think it was, pretty much decided that day that the Texas Longhorns were the national champs. So there you go. That was how that went down for the Texas Longhorns in the 1969 national championship. Now, I, I think I think Penn State was in that mix maybe in 69, something like that. And they, and they weren't very happy about that decision by the president to basically go into the locker room after the game and say congratulations to uh, to the Texas Longhorns and essentially present them with a national championship trophy right then and there. That's going to do it for a Thursday edition of Southern Fried Sports. It's been a lot of fun. Enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Chris Hummer for joining us. Thanks to Joe Gaither and the crew for uh, doing their thing from a production standpoint. And uh, the lunch whistle today on a Thursday. How about Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa, right there at Government Plaza. Great, great pizza. Great, great daily specials there at Heat Pizza Bar. Be sure to ask about those. Uh, Frank, Will, the rest of the crew, just, again, great people, great pizza. Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. Until 11 a.m. on Friday. Have a great rest of your Thursday, everybody. Getting paid off this country.